You're listening to a Dulahan Productions podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Born on February 15, 1939, was a man who took Richard Connell's book, The Most Dangerous Game, too seriously as he would abduct, rape, and release his victims into the wilderness of Anchorage, Alaska to hunt them down for sport. Today, we will be looking into the life and murders of Robert Henson, also known as the Butcher Baker, due to him owning a local bakery. This is Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Strickland, and join with me as always is my co-host, who for some reason thinks Life Serial is good, Jason Sparks. Jason, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, and Life Serial is still one of the best serials out there. Uh, you can think that all you want, but Cinnamon Toast Crunch will always be king. Yeah. <laughs> it's why I'm eating it again. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Got to get that shirt kick. It's late, you know, might as well. Hey, hey man. I mean, if grew up on it, can't really break habit. I'm a creature of habit. Might as well just keep to it. Fair enough. Yep. Like I said, we'll be talking about Robert Henson. Uh, Robert Henson was actually born Robert Christian Henson. He was born in Esterville, Iowa in 1939. But his family would later move to California when he was three years old. He would stay there till he was about nine. And then they would actually move back to Iowa to a town called Pocahontas. Not going to lie, whenever I saw that, I thought about the movie immediately. So I know most people would actually think about the historical figure but i thought about the movie pocahontas <laughs> thank shout disney you know oh yeah shout out disney man maybe they'll give us a sponsorship who knows <gasps> doubt it they yeah, had probably but anyways it is there that christian henson who was actually robert's father would open up a bakery now christian was a danish immigrant he was known to be very hard on his son and he was even described by the locals in pocahontas as a big old mean guy he forced his son to work very long hours in his bakery, and he even had his son, who was naturally a left-handed person, to use his right hand for everything. So you can already see there, something's not right. He's got a really rough childhood, and then something like a development like that has got to be hard on a young kid being forced to not use his natural hand. Yeah, so kind of touching on that, so something I had recently discussed with some coworkers of mine that left-handedness at one point in time, and I'm sure in some areas still to this day, is seen negatively. It's seen that being the, the wrong gesture of a hand and is seen as cursed or demonic in an essence, which is very interesting to think about that left-handedness is just a, a way of life for some people to where in years past and in certain you know religions or certain very conservative aspects of religion that left-handedness is seen so negatively you know i'm not gonna lie to you i never even knew that i never knew that i always knew that before people view left-handedness as different just abnormal but never in that aspect that's something i've never known so that's interesting to look at it just kind of baffling because you just never think about that like one of my really good friends that we both know him, uh, Alex Jr., he's left-handed. And I just would never think about that as being something that's just 
out of the ordinary. It's just, I mean, I know not many people are left-handed, but still it's something that I would never think it would be so bad that you had to force someone to use the other hand. Yeah, so there's stories of children attending orphanages and everything due to, you know, on terrible circumstances. But while the time at these orphanages that these nuns would come around with, say, rulers or what have you, and would smack the hands of children who were writing left-handed and trying to correct them and tell them that they should write right-handed, that left-handedness was essentially a sin you know it's it's very curious looking back in history of left-handedness it's i would imagine a recessive gene i don't know for certain but it's funny because in modern day left-handedness for fathers or mothers who want to raise you know a potential professional athlete is something that is desirable for your child to be left-handed you know so it's, it's very interesting to see how the dynamic has changed yeah, it's definitely interesting because nowadays, I mean, if you're someone's left-handed, it's not as big of a deal. It's actually, like you said, if it's an athlete, especially in baseball, a pitcher, that's very, very favorable. So it's just interesting to look at how things have changed over the years, especially since this was born in 1939. I mean, we're looking at a little over 80 years ago. So that's kind of crazy to think about. Absolutely. So, but due to this unnatural change, it actually developed, uh, Robert developed a stuttering problem due to this, and he also suffered from bad acne and was painfully shy. This actually led to him being bullied quite a bit in school. So you can look at that. That's another aspect probably in his childhood that just adds compounds on that. He's got a hard home life, not to mention his school life is also hard as well. It also meant that he would be rejected by the girls that he was interested in, and that didn't sit well with him as this is what would lead to him having dark fantasies later on in his life. He became known as a loner using his time away from others to grow a fascination and game hunting fascination that we will later reveal that he took a little too seriously. So it's interesting, you know, right off the bat, you know, Robert having a, a troubled childhood, not only due to his father but also due to being bullied within school due to his speech impediment and also the acne which is a you know a common occurrence for a young man but it's interesting the the highlighting aspect within your research that was that he had a rough time finding a girlfriend or the fact of he had a rough time connecting to females yeah. and instead mm -hmm. divulges into his lonesome nature and focusing on hunting specifically game hunting and as you said before you know that's such an aspect of how we're going to see in, in his future activities of finding enjoyment in the sport of hunting but doing it in such a despicable way of hunting humans exactly and it's just it's interesting that they highlight that throughout my research that that was one thing that highlight because I mean every kid suffers with acne I know it's various degrees with it but this was highlighted that compounded with his being shy his stuttering problem probably didn't have it didn't do anything to help him as well on top of that so it shows one that it do these unfortunate things the one thing he did seek was that companionship probably looking with a female and he couldn't find that with anybody and. If anything, it just made him frustrated because not only was his home life bad, he was getting bullied at school. He couldn't find a girl that he wanted to be with. And it's just take all that stuff. He had to find something to um, escape, essentially. And he chose that. Well, unfortunately, though, 
he got so into it that he will use it to fulfill very dark fantasies that he had not only as a child but as growing up as well. In 1957, Robert enlisted into the U.S. Army Reserves at the age of 18 to hopefully leave behind his troubled life in Iowa. He would go on to serve one year in the reserves before being discharged. It's also around this time that Robert would marry his first wife. Couldn't find a name anywhere that I looked, but this is, he was around 20, no, about 19 years old whenever this happened. And they got married in the summer of 1960. It was also in 1960 that Robert committed his first known crime. It was when he burned down a Pocahontas County school bus as revenge for his mistreatment while in school. Uh, I was trying to think, too. There was something I didn't put down my notes, but I just thought it was interesting that he took out his frustration on a school bus as a way because that bus represented all the misfortune that he suffered in his early childhood, not just from his father, but also being bullied and everything i just thought that was pretty interesting way just never thought about that but it's pretty interesting to see that uh type of behavior right he obviously has an animosity towards you know education and everything blaming a lot of his problems primarily on education as a whole and you know not just the the bullying and the other issues he had due to his father you know he sees a school bus and that's kind of a a reminder of the hardships he had gone through but to kind of touch on the fact that he only served one year in the army reserve it's very interesting i don't know at the time if that was a contract that could be signed but i want to say in modern time, uh, it's either four to eight years for reserve. I know active duty, I want to say the smallest contract you can serve is four years. I believe I'm not an expert, of course, but that's very interesting that it's just one year. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see anything in my research if there was a contract he signed or anything. Maybe they did a psych evaluation, and then after this year, they saw that maybe he wasn't medically fit. Maybe that's why, but there was no record showing that they performed a psych evaluation on him during that time. So who knows what happened for that discharge, but it is very interesting, but he didn't end up staying with them because he was a drill instructor or assistant drill instructor, I should say in Pocahontas uh, after that. So he was still in it, but he just wasn't in the reserves anymore. Um, right. And it's interesting too, that, you know, more than likely he wanted to join the army reserves as a means to get away from his daily life that he had gone through for up until that point, 18 to 19 years. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he's still in Pocahontas. He's still essentially in what he probably considered his hometown. Oh yeah. Cause he spent most of his uh, life there. Uh, he lived th for his first three years somewhere else in Iowa, then lived six years in California. And then now he's back in po Pocahontas. This is what 11 years. So he, this is definitely probably what he would consider to be his hometown. I think that what reason why he also burned down the school bus is him taking revenge out on the school system for failing him, not protecting him whenever he was getting um, bullied by all of his peers. And they did not saying that they didn't do anything about it, but it just seemed like it never stopped. And maybe this was his way of getting back at them for not helping him out. Right. right. And like you said, it, it's a he's blaming authority. He's not 
individuals. And so potentially that's another reason he joined the military, because what is one of the most heightened senses of authority than the military itself? And so he wanted to join to have that sense of authority to hopefully potentially make a difference. And even though his career was cut short, you know, would go back to his hometown where he didn't move far away from and then proceed to experience, you know, witnessing this authoritarian figure or this embodiment of this authoritarian figure and have so much spite and malice towards it that he seeks to act out and burn it down to the ground. Yeah, it's interesting to look at. It's, there's so many different variables that you can take a look at it. It's, it's pretty baffling, but at the same time, he, he committed that crime. He had to pay for it. And after he was arrested for it, he was actually sentenced to three years of prison for it. It was during his incarceration that he actually did receive a psych evaluation. They diagnosed him with manic depression, schizophrenia, as well as infantile personality, which essentially is uh, the desire to give even or to get back at people who they believe have wronged them. And that's why I wanted to touch on that, too, with the school bus, too, is it seems like He's trying to get he's this is his path now to start getting even with people and first starts with his school bus. And we'll later see on not necessarily, like you said, individuals, but a select group he's getting even with. It was also while he was incarcerated, his wife filed for divorce from him in 1962. Robert would only serve about 20 months out of his prison sentence, but his crimes would not stop here. He would also get arrested and put in jail for several petty thefts over the next several years. It was also during this time in 1963, they would marry his second wife, again, name not known, but they would actually have two children together. However, in 1967, it seemed like Robert was able to turn a new leaf over his life as he decided to pack up his family and move all the way to the Northwest in Anchorage, Alaska. It's said that while Robert lived in Anchorage that he was well-liked by his neighbors and he even followed in his father's footsteps and opened up a small bakery. Even with this brand new start, trouble did not seem to stay away from Robert. As in December 1971, he was arrested on two separate occasions. The first was the abduction of a local housewife and the attempt rape of her. The second arrest was for the rape of an unidentified sex worker. He pled no contest to the assault charges brought before against the housewife, and his rape charge against the sex worker was later dropped as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years in prison, but was released after six months and placed on a work release program. Yeah, so obviously Trouble's finding this individual. Um, he's he's obviously seeking opportunities to escape or to potentially better himself, you know, from his time within the army to starting a family and moving them to Anchorage, Alaska. But he, it, I don't know if it's the fact that he can't get out of his own way or if it's just his own resentment he holds within his heart. I'm, I'm not sure, but I don't want to say that to make it seem that I feel bad for this individual, but at the same time, it does feel as if he is trying to be a better person. He just can't do it. But due, primarily, I would have to imagine, due to his mental capability from, you know, as we've talked about, he has schizophrenia and other mental illnesses. But it's curious to me, I, I do wonder, in Anchorage, which 
at current today is not a very big city. There's, as we discussed, about 250,000 people within Anchorage, Alaska. But it makes me wonder if these women had visited his bakery and if some mannerism that these women had while at the bakery or within his own interactions within his personal life made him want to lash out, want to get revenge against these people who he thought when he was younger, he might be able to find solace in being primarily just females as a whole. But since he couldn't find solace in them, he will lash out against women who he feels may give him a despicable look or may give him, you know, uh, a bad eye or, you know, some sort of mannerism that he is taking as negative and therefore lash out against them. I agree. And I think we mentioned this earlier. It just seems like he has a resentment towards women back, dating back to his school days, just not ever being able to find the person he wanted to be with, uh, being rejected due to either his awkwardness or just whatever it could be. And maybe, like you said, maybe some of these women stumbled into his bakery. They gave off the wrong impression. It brought up repressed memories back into his life, and he decided to lash out. I don't know, but I completely agree with you, though. It seems like he is trying to make the best of his life, but like the famous saying, trouble follows you. It just seems like trouble just follows him no matter where he goes. Even no matter how hard he tries, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. Like you said, he's going to revert, revert back to his old ways and just completely fall off the rails again. And like you said, I don't sympathize with him either, but it is unfortunate. The, the, this episode, which is, I don't know, this one's very unique to me because yeah. like I said, I don't feel bad for this individual, but like, there's anybody, just so much curiosity for this guy. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the people we've talked about previously, like, have proven themselves to be bad eggs from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he had, you know, petty theft crimes in his earlier age. But at the same time, I, I don't think within our research, we would be able to definitively say it's due to theft of necessity <coughs> or theft of a his mental disease and, you know, just wanting, you know, possessions that he may not be able to have or a, a middle finger to authority. It's, it's, it's something that I just, at this point, I don't know. And I don't think we'd be able to, to understand unless we were able to dissect his brain, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be something that's way too hard. Like we're, we're beyond the point of being able to examine him because he's dead. I'll mm-hmm. go ahead and spoil that. But yeah, it's, it's pretty unfortunate. Like if of any of them, if you were to sympathize with any of them, it's definitely him. But at the same time, yep. obviously we're not going to sympathize with him. It doesn't excuse what he did. Yep. I, uh, I see his kill count right now. So it's, uh, yep. Not great. Yep. 17 confirmed. They think possibly 30. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy. So all right. after these arrests is when it is believed that Robert began his killing spree. Uh, experts believe it began somewhere around December, 1971. Is also believed around this time that he purchased an aircraft and also purchased a cabin in, excuse me if I mispronounce this, Mantanuska Susitna Valley. Robert would also get arrested in 1976 for grand larceny after he got caught stealing a chainsaw from a Fred Meyer store in Anchorage. These are popular stores, kind of like a, a Walmart, Ace Hardware, or something like that. Kind of like a, I would say more like an Ace Hardware in that area. 
<laughs> so he got caught stealing a chainsaw there. And he also got sentenced for five months for that uh, offense as well. And was during this time, they gave him another psych evaluation and they discovered that he suffers from bipolar disorder on top of schizophrenia, the man depression, and also that infantile personality disorder. So just seems like this guy, like you said, Jason, it's one thing after another. It, it just seems like there's a lot that's going on within his mind that he just, he's got a lot to deal with. Right. He just simply cannot help himself. I mean, it's again, not to sympathize with this individual, but there is just so much wrong with this individual. He needs help and he's just not getting it. And so he's, he's lashing out, acting out however you want to see it. And it's leading to negative consequences. Right. And we talked about this previously during this time, mental health is not seen as a priority as it is nowadays if it was who knows what could have happened maybe all this could have been prevented but obviously that's a question we don't know and i want to re uh, reemphasize too i don't sympathize with them either it's just it's very complicating case i guess we could say mm. his sentence was actually later reduced though by the alaska supreme court but it was unknown to all of them that they were actually dealing with a serial killer in their midst who was butchering sex workers this discovery would not be made until 1983 when a young woman escaped from his grasp. It would happen on June 13, 1983. Cindy Paulson, a 17-year-old girl, was offered by Hansen $200 to perform oral sex on him. When she got in Robert's car, he pulled out a gun and drove her to his house where he proceeded to rape and torture the girl for an unspecified amount of time. Hansen would chain her up by the neck in his basement while he took a nap before taking her to the local airport, taking her on her plane and taking the young woman to his cabin and again in Mantauska, Suitna Valley, which is about 35 miles outside of Anchorage. Whenever they got to the airport, Sydney actually got an opportunity to escape from Robert. It was at the airport that Sydney saw her opportunity to escape from Robert as while he was loading up the plane for their departure, she managed to crawl into the driver's side door and make a run for it to the nearest street. And she had the foresight, though, to also think about it. she left her shoes behind to as evidence in case the cops were able to catch up to him. So she managed to do this all while barefoot. She managed to flag down a vehicle with Robert actually chasing her when he realized that she had uh, escaped his car but she was able to uh, flag down a truck who took her to a local motel. The driver of the truck, his name was Robert Yount. He reported the incident to the police, and when police were notified, they went to the motel to look for Paulson. Whenever they got there, she was not there as she was going to another motel where her boyfriend was staying. They managed to track her down to this hotel as she was in a room still with handcuffs on her, on her hands and she was barefoot again when they found her they took her to anchorage police headquarters where she told them everything that happened when she was kidnapped by robert police were able to track him down but they were reluctant to bring him in at first because he was seen as very well liked by his uh community which kind of whenever i saw this jason i'm not gonna lie it kind of confused me because they know this man's got a history because i mean this is the united states they can pull up his history from Iowa, as well as what's been happening to him recently in Alaska, too. So it's kind of interesting why they were 
not willing to bring him in at first. I know this is a big step up from, well, actually it's not really a big step up because he had to arrest for the housewife and the other sex worker. So just kind of baffled me that they were, they didn't want to bring him in. Yeah. That's insanely baffling. And the fact of, yeah, sure. You might be able to look at the arson that he committed against a, a school bus. Okay, cool. That's, that's terrible. You know, that's horrifying to see, you know, maybe you can run past that. You see the grand larceny do try to cha- steal a chainsaw. Okay. Maybe we can get past that. But for the attempted abduction and rape of a woman, and then the rape of a sex worker that is on his record. And you're going to tell me law enforcement's looking at this guy and be like, no, he's a good dude. He's, he's an upstanding citizen. No, the, the normal citizen does not have one or two of these accounts, let alone all of these accounts on his record. And you're going to tell me that, no, it, it's it's okay. Maybe maybe we'll kind of look into this. Maybe we're not too sure about this guy. Like, that's insane to me. That is so baffling. Right, and it, it, just, it just raises questions, too, because... It, it just doesn't make any sense because I know this is a pretty big crime. Of course, I like his other two crimes too, but also he just has a trouble because, I mean, seven years before this, he got arrested for grand larceny as well. It's not like this guy is just upsetting citizens. He's made a couple of mistakes. He, he has a track record. So, and this woman who is giving you a description of this man who fits him exactly, it just doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't want to bring him in and at least question him. Yeah, and, and she's still wearing handcuffs and is barefoot. More than likely, her feet are all cut up and potentially mm-hmm. frostbite. And you're going to look at this woman and be like, yeah, maybe it wasn't that bad. Like, <laughs> how? What is the reasoning here? I don't know. Maybe they just don't want to create a disturbance or whatever it would be called. I know the best way to describe it, but something with the community. Because, like we said, he is well-liked. His neighbor's respect him like him i don't know if it's just whoever whatever it was they had the reasons but it just doesn't make any sense yeah without even knowing he's a serial killer at this point dude still sounds like a menace to society not making light of his mental illnesses by no means but taking that out taking that as i don't understand that yet seeing this individual seeing his record i don't think this is you know okay behavior and something i'm gonna look past Right, exactly. But um, Sydney gave them way too much evidence anyway, so they did actually decide to bring him in for questioning. And it was during this question that he claimed that Sydney was uh, extorting him for money that he owed her for. Obviously, he paid her to have to perform oral sex on him. So his claim was that he never paid her, and she's just making all this up to get that money from him. Friends actually vouched for him. And this was good enough for police as they released them from custody after this. It was also around this time, though, that the Alaska State Troopers began finding bodies in the Anchorage, Seaward, and the valley where his cabin was found. They found the remains of four different women, and they were all sex workers. So you can start seeing the pattern here, and this led to investigators to conclude that they had a serial killer on their hands. When they discovered this, they actually contacted an FBI agent, his name was John Douglas, to aid them in the search investigation in order to create a profile based on the bodies they discovered. Not going to lie, immediately whenever I saw this, I thought of Criminal Minds because I love that show. And you, I, Have you ever seen that, Jason? 
Absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, you, you know, they make profiles about all these killers, and usually that's like a big scene in the episodes of every single one, so I just imagine that. But it shows that they were being serious about this, that they needed some help from the outside, and they brought in this guy to hopefully give them a profile. And get this, Jason, his profile's pretty spot on whenever you hear this. So he he gave them the physical, uh, psychological pro- profile for the suspect just based on the evidence they gathered from the de- from the bodies they found. And what he concluded was that they were dealing with an experienced hunter. also concluded that he probably kept souvenirs of the victims, and he even suffered from a stuttering problem. Oh, wow. He was... All of that stuff, uh, amazing investigation work, mm-hmm. of course. But the fact that they were able to deduce that more than likely had a stutter as well... That is mind-boggling. I don't even know how he could come up with that, but the fact that he came up with that is pretty remarkable and just shows that this guy's pretty good at what he's doing. Yeah, this this dude's been around the block a time or two. Mm-hmm, exactly. And once they got this profile, all the evidence just started pointing towards Robert. So they finally got a search warrant from the a court office. They searched his house, his plane, and even his cabin that was out in the valley. On October 27, 1983, investigators found some of Hans's souvenirs that belonged to the missing women, as well as all of his firearms that were in his cabin. They were also able to un- recover a map that he had marked 37 X's that were later discovered to contain some of the remains of his victims. Though he tried to, de- to deny it all, Robert eventually started confessing little by little, First, he started blaming the women for his actions, then admitting to all the evidence against him, stating and confirming that he began killing in 1971. Though Robert gave off the facade to everybody around him as a businessman and an avid hunter, Robert was hunting down women of various ages like wild game. His MO, as we discussed as he did to Cindy Paulson by asking for sex acts for money, He would then hold them at gunpoint, take them to his house where he would proceed to rape them, hold them hostage for a little while. Then he would take them to the airport and fly them out to his cabin. Now, Jason, this is where he would decide what to do with them after this based off their behavior. What he would do is, is if the women did not fight him, he would just rape them. And let me back up. It's still horrible what he's doing, but what he would do is he would rape them and then release them, threatening them that if they exposed him for any reason, he would find them and kill them then. But those that he brought to the cabin and would fight him, he would do something much more sinister than even that. What he would do is he would take the women, take them out into the world of the frozen tundra that is Alaska, and just set them loose. He would give them a little bit of time to make them think that they were going free, that nothing else was going to happen. They were finally free from his grasp. But then eventually he would start hunting them down slowly. What he would take with him was a semi-automatic rifle and a hunting knife as he took his time where he could take even hours, even days to finally hunt them down and kill them. So I'll take a break right here. Like It's pretty sickening. One... No matter what he did to the women, it was horrifying. Like I told you before, just something about rape just stirs something inside me that makes me so angry that someone could do that to someone else. But even on top of that, what he's doing to these women who decide they want to fight back, he's going to make it very, almost torture, not 
torturing of the system what we think it is but he's torturing them and thinking the psychological torture that they think they're free but instead he's just going to hunt them down yeah i mean that is horrifying to imagine it is so sinister so devious of an action that he is taking hold and really adds to the credence of him being an organized killer which is is so interesting for an individual with so many mental illnesses and lack of education not to say that these individuals would not be able to be organized killers but just how thought out his actions are how sinister they are to take these women out and treat them as game that he's you know doing it for the sport for the hunt and it's it's mind-boggling you know as as we talked about he's not done until the rapes in uh the 1960s 1970s that really kind of made him stand out as being just a a, a terrible person but at this point it's it's horrifying to think of what was going on inside this individual's head and i mean i'm i'm at a loss for words i feel like most serial killers organized or disorganized that it's they're more quick to the jump on their killings for for lack of a better word but this dude is taking you know days at hand and you know goes back to that psychological game that essentially he's playing and i don't know if that's towards his satisfaction or or what but i don't know i'm just i'm mind boggled by that yeah it's pretty it's like you said lost for words just don't know really how to sum this up because this is something that you usually don't see usually serial killers try to for lack of better words i don't know get the job done and get out of there because a lot of serial killers we've seen they're usually are in big cities like bigger than anchorage that if someone if anybody could walk by and see them and then they're caught so they got to get it done this guy knows that one, he's out in the middle of nowhere when he takes him out to this cabin. And he's got all the time in the world and he's going to use that to his advantage in his eyes. And he takes it out and performs these fantasies, I would say, of instead of him like normally hunting the game that he usually would, I don't know, the normal game that's out in Alaska. I've never been there. I'm going to assume it's deer, whatever. But Instead, he's choosing to hunt these people down and basically just treating them like animals instead of human beings. Yeah, and, and something we had touched on in the Grim Sleeper episode was how anomalous it is for an individual to rape, but also to shoot an individual. Typically, following rape, typically it's it's strangulation or a knife, something that's more for lack of a better word, more hands-on, more immediate and, and close in vicinity than a firearm. But it, it, I believe it really adds to the credence for Robert that he sees women in such a negative light, that he sees women as no better than the deer or the caribou or the moose or what have you that he hunts, you know, as a child growing up into manhood and everything, he sees them no differently. Yeah, it's just obviously it's just sad to think about too that he's treating them that way and he 
uh, like you say, he just shows no remorse in this. He's just taking them out and doing what he wants to do. And then he'll bury them out there thinking to probably to himself, no one will ever find them. He's just going to keep on doing what he's doing. And it's just while. And uh, something else to kind of touch on too, is you talked about out and at first he was either claiming ignorance or, you know, just trying to basically find an excuse of how these bodies are, are not laid by him you know that that's he's not the causation and correlation here but he eventually admits to it and i'm curious because up until this point there's some indignations but not fully to where i would believe that robert is a narcissist so it's interesting that he is admitting to this and i do wonder as the investigator had stated that it's due to low self-esteem that it's uh, it, it due to his mental illness that he feels, you know, he's in trouble and he has to, you know, admit it as if, you know, a, a child being scolded by a, a parent or by a teacher, you know, I, I don't really understand why he's being so truthworthy with this because as I stated, I don't believe it's due to narcissism. I don't think it is either. I think it's just, he's caught, they got a lot of evidence against him. They probably presented that evidence to him saying that we got you. And he's probably at this point thinking, you know, I might as well just start confessing to it. I can't get myself out. Maybe start take like maybe that narcissism could start playing out. Actually like here, look at what I did. Like, look, look at what I did. Y'all. They like, they probably told him too, that they only found four bodies. Like, Oh, you're not even close. Like it's way more than that. So maybe he's starting to start revealing the stuff to try to show them like, this is what I really did. That's the only thing. Right. I think of. Yeah. That's a very good point that maybe this is the instance that developed his narcissism or that maybe it was already existed and we just didn't have any indignation of it or potentially, as I stated, this is the moment that developed it. No, well, this could be his moment to shine. Yeah, you're right. So, because believe it or not too, that's, once they got him in there and had talked to him, they believed that he raped and assaulted at least 30 women with 17 of them being the ones that he killed. They ranged from the ages between 16 to 41 and it lasted from 1971 till they finally captured him in 1983. So it's about a 12 year period there where he was doing this to these women though. He confessed to those 17 women that he said he killed he was only charged with four counts of murder because those were the ones that they could definitively had enough evidence to charge him with, as well as the kidnapping of Cindy Paulson. When police did a ballistics test, they matched the bullets found at the scene to his rifle. Robert entered into a plea bargain when he did this. As part of this plea bargain, he would plead guilty to these four murder charges, and he would also give details about the victims and the location of their bodies. Uh, and he also was mandated by the courts to go with them to search for these bodies. In return, all that he asked for uh, with his plea bargain is that when he was serving his sentence in a federal prison, he would not get any publicity from the press. And as I'm saying that now, it kind of seems like maybe that narcissism isn't coming out because he doesn't want it to talk to anybody about it. So that's a really weird thing to think about because... I know a lot of serial killers do this. Not every single one of them, obviously. They that's when usually they start talking is whenever they're in prison because mm -hmm. they know they're 
might as well just start airing out all the air, like all the dirt about them. Yeah. And two things on that is, you know, they're, they're talking because they like to talk. They like to discuss the actions that they did in a sense to relive them, you know, because of how sick and demented their minds are. But also, too, sometimes it's a means of if I keep talking, that keeps me alive a little bit longer. That keeps me a little bit further from lethal injection or the chair or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, 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 as you talk about, I, I, even with that, I don't believe it's any sort of narcissism. I believe that he stated that due to a social anxiety that had, you know, been created through his childhood and that he still doesn't like, you know, interaction with individuals, you know, outside of his own terms, you know, that he still has an introvertedness about him. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. He's just, he may have a little bit of it, but at the same time, all of it, what he dealt with as a child still keeps him from expressing himself unless he wants to do it. So that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But after they did this, Robert would lead the authorities to the 17 grave sites where he buried his victims. However, even with those 17, they found more bodies with those exes, but he refused to acknowledge those as he only said that he killed 17 women. But they used that map that they found and were starting to find more bodies which leads people to believe that his victim count is actually more than 17, with some even estimating could be as high as 30. Police were able to exhume the remains and give them back to the families, and they were given their proper burials. With some of these women, they've been buried out in this um, frozen tundra for years and stuff. Now they're finally able to rest in peace, and their families are able to have closure. After this, Robert was sentenced to 461 years in prison without the possibility of parole, and he was in prison at the U.S. Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. He would return to Juneau, Alaska for a brief stint before moving to a prison in Seward until May 2014 when he was moved to Anchorage uh, Correctional Complex when his health started to decline. It was on August 21st, 2014, that Robert Wood actually passed away. He passed away at Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage from natural causes at the age of 75. So, Jason, this concludes everything that we talked about, Robert. I just want to get your thoughts first about him. Just, I know we aired a lot of everything about him. I just want to get some of your closing thoughts about him. What do you think? Yeah, so just to touch on a few things within the judicial system. So we have admittedly talked Mm -hmm. negatively of the judicial system in the past, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally, you know, there are instances and there are a lot of good individuals within the justice system. You know, we won't refute that in the slightest. Oh, yeah. Um, But something to kind of touch on or or a few things to touch on is a lot of not a lot of times, but several times within these trials, the court system will put forth the instances that have the most evidence that are so concrete that there is no way to get around them. And so it raises questions to people like me and you or people who aren't as familiar with the judicial system that would say, well, why don't you try them on the 17? Why don't you try them on the 30? It's it's emblematic to try them on the four because that four in essence is enough. That four is enough to put this man in jail for the rest of his life. With if, if I add that fifth one or that sixth one, that maybe has a little bit of leeway there, 
that adds to the potential of this individual being able to gain credence, gain a pliable deniability. And so that is, there is a lot of methodical thought process that goes into why they only bring forward so many of the victims. Um, so I, I did want to touch on that since we talked about they only brought forth four instead of the other individuals. So I wanted to touch on that, just kind of add credence there because that was something that whenever we started this and from the other podcasts or even Criminal Minds shows that I've seen, that it really raises that question. And then whenever I, I kind of stepped back and started to understand that, I was like, no, that makes sense. Why or it is just, the way it is. Yeah, just to interject with you, though, I correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems like we're such black and white people. It's like, okay, he com- he confessed to these 17. Why not just try him for that 17? Because it seems like if you just try him for that four, those other 13 don't, not just, not to say don't matter, but, it's not as important as the other four because you got enough evidence in them, but you got a good point. If they can um, pin him down for those four and put him away for the rest of his life, you still get the same outcome. It just may not include the other, other uh, women that he killed. I just, I don't know. I've, like you said, we talked about nauseum. I judicial system, not something I'm a fan of. Obviously it's innocent until proven guilty, but at the same time, I'm, this guy's confessed to 17. Why not just do try him for the 17? That's just my thought. And, and I agree. And, and it definitely feels that way as if we're not giving credence to those other 13 women. And, okay. and it's, it's disheartening to look at it, you know, in that light, but some of these judiciaries or law enforcement are saying, you know, if I can definitively get him on these four, then those 13 other that I didn't mention will still have justice. You know, they are still getting their retribution that they deserve. Um, Again, it's, it's disturbing because yes, you want every single one of these individuals to be brought to light in saying that you are the, the problem. You are the reason that they no longer walk this earth. And, and I agree with that, but yeah. there's there's just so much that goes into it. And as you kind of talked on, there's so much black and white that is needed to do these very strenuous and, and long, long-term uh, court system um, trials that it's, it's, it gets very complex, right? Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I, I definitely, you know, advocate for anybody who has interest in that to, to also do some research on it as well, because it is very fascinating. Um, and it's it's still very confusing. And and I won't say that I'm an expert in it because I'm not and in the slightest, but it's it raises the the interest in me that I understand, but at the same time I have no clue. Um mm-hmm. But something else I wanted to touch on was it's interesting in the fact that they moved him so many times within the the prison system that he was in Pennsylvania and then ended up back in Alaska and everything. It's it's very weird to me um, as a taxpayer that we are spending taxpayer money to put this individual on a flight to these different prison systems. Um, that's interesting to me. Didn't want to touch too much on that. Mm-hmm. but to just kind of close up my final thoughts on Robert. So as we discussed, you know, had a, a difficult upbringing um, due to his father and due to being bullied 
which led to his his stutter and his other men, mental illnesses and also the the lack of wanting to have social interaction and his resentment towards women but as we kind of discussed too that he really didn't start you know showing out until yes he burnt down a school bus in the the 50s 60s he did petty theft small things but the small things started to add up and then Mm -hmm. in the 60s 70s he you know raped and abducted uh, a woman and also raped a sex worker and then went on to um steal a chainsaw grand larceny and then 1971 to 1983 went on his killing spree it's it's so interesting of the escalation that took place if it's this just hatred he had in his mind or if it's just the desire to see what he could get away with i don't know but i i, I will say that you know it's it's lighthearting to see from my point of view that the alaskan state troopers were able to discover these bodies yes this killing spree did take place over the course of 12 years which is horrifying to think about mm-hmm. but alaska is the the largest state in the united states there's so much ground to cover with a very small populi that these state troopers were able to find these bodies and then able to raise the red flag saying hey we need outside help on this we need someone who's an expert on serial killers and this investigator is able to come in and say, this is the guy we're looking for. And with that outline, with that, you know, mapping out of this person's psychology and physiology, that they're able to definitively state more than likely Robert Hansen is our guy. You know, so so a lot of credence there to, to local law enforcement and state law enforcement at that time. I, I do, I, I am still disgusted in the fact of, you know, after that one sex worker was able to escape, that they didn't give a lot of credence to her mm-hmm. uh, and were able to try and pose Robert Hansen as being an upstanding citizen. That is still disgusting in my mind. But mm-hmm. all the other things with the state troopers and the, uh, what I have to imagine was a FBI investigator, I mean, and fantastic law enforcement, fantastic investigation on their aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like once ever they got the evidence from her and they started discovering those bodies, they were pretty quick to jump on and try to figure out who this guy was. And it seems like no time passed and they finally caught him. So, like you said, very good job on their part with that. Especially that the FBI profiler being able to basically nail down almost every aspect of him. So they were able to find him very quickly. So, mm-hmm. and like you said too, those state troopers. I don't. I mean, I don't know anything about law enforcement. But I've, I've always heard that like that they try to keep everything within the department. They don't want to try to get outside help. But unless my research, they didn't talk about this. But it seemed like immediately they're like, okay, we need someone to help us find this guy. This guy's been doing this for. We found four bodies. Who knows how many bodies he actually his body count could be. And we got to make sure we find this guy so we stop this. So good for them to try to already get help from someone who's an expert in this to track down this guy and stop this before it got even worse. So yeah, I have to to imagine that this is not something that Alaska law enforcement is used to. I mean, as, as sad as it is to say, yes, California law enforcement or New York law enforcement is, or even 
Georgia with Atlanta law enforcement is a little bit more used to having these criminal criminal profiles to hunt these individuals due to the mass population that they witness and sad to say the mass population of serial killers that they have also witnessed. But I cannot imagine Alaska had as much of a, a credence or an understanding of serial killers, especially at this time. No, no, that, I don't know. Obviously I don't know how many serial killers per state, like per, uh, how many like serial killers I've had in every state, but I would imagine Alaska just due to this population that is not very high compared to states. Like you said, California, New York, Georgia, even with Atlantic, anywhere, honestly, in the continental United States, Alaska probably is not up there with that. So, and even with the resources based on what those states or those cities would have is probably not even comparable. So the fact that they were able to realize that is pretty, pretty good on their part. And they just wanted to make sure they got someone off the streets that didn't need to be on the streets. Hmm. So, but yeah, Jason, that's basically all I got for this guy. Um, I'll give my closing thoughts real quick. It's just, just like you said, it's interesting just to look at someone. This is really the first guy that I think we've looked at that it's gone more extensively into his backstory. We see someone who did not have the greatest upbringing struggled all throughout his life whether it's from his family or his the people around him give him hard time obviously that does not excuse what he did and what he did to these women is just something that blows my mind that someone is able to do all these things and then give these people a sense of hope that they're finally escaping and then he just tracks them down and kills them in cold blood it's it's a fa- it's an interesting case, but it's also incredibly disturbing too that he was able to do, to to do this to these people. Absolutely, and and, and I I echo everything you said. You know, it's such an interesting case, and from the cases we've touched previously, this one has been just so fascinating to, to discuss. Yeah, exactly. So, well, Jason, I'll let you close this out. I appreciate you doing this with me. And hopefully we've informed some people, given some people some insight into something a little bit different. All right. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to the Robert Hansen, a.k.a. the Butcher Baker episode of Serial Time, a serial killer podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As a disclaimer, no serial was harmed in the making of this episode, and we hope to see you next time.